Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. Good day, hello. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? Um, nobody can see it over the audio, but I had my surgery on Monday, and so today I I can hear that I sound a little different. I don't know if you can hear. Do do I sound different to you at all? You you do sound a little bit different, but we were having some mic issues. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yes, that 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 is a bigger problem than my voice. Just want to say out loud here. Yes, my husband broke my microphone, so here <laughs> we are. I mean, yeah, that's that's what it is. But I did have a surgery on my throat, so I mean, not on my throat. Yeah, but I sound Close. a little different yeah. in my ear. Yeah, and then I'm like. Can can I record? I, I mean, it's not like embarrassing or anything, but I just like I sound so different in my head right now. Better than a couple of days ago. A couple of days ago, my husband was like, "Uh, you sound like a different person." I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this is fun, and now I'm back to eighty percent of what I think I sound like. Anyways, but it's it's really fun to have surgery because after that you're just super super sore and tired for days, and here we are. Yeah. I feel great. Yeah, now I feel great. That's good. Good. Yeah, it's good to have it's good to have you back for one. And um, is that when is that when your husband destroyed the microphone? Was when you sounded different? Is he just? <sighs> I like... but, um, <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. I think. Yeah, he. I think he was recording something for his work or something, but yeah, I always told him like, no, I shouldn't, you know, be, be sitting that way. The microphone needs to be sitting that way. And he's like, no, it's fine. <laughs> and here we are. Um, I'm sure everyone has that kind of like argument with their, you know, partners and stuff. And it's always like, okay, okay. I don't want to start a fight. And this is such a small deal. It's fine. I will give my input and let it be. But then when you let it be, it comes back that you're right. It always is like, oh, okay. I will never <laughs> say anything more than like, oh, that, that, that sucks. But inside, you know, you're like, see, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Those little moments. Um, but anyways, yeah. yeah, just a microphone, whatever. Um, how well, are things with you? Things are good. Yeah, everything's uh, going well. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to put a little plug in here right at the beginning for my product newsletter. I I would normally probably oh. wait until the the very end, but uh, you know, I've been putting together various different newsletters for quite some time now, and over the past like month or so, have consolidated and restructured those, and so you can find it at productthinking.substack.com and can you repeat the URL. Yeah, productthinking.substack.com. So if you go to Substack, which is a great place to find various different newsletters and things like that, it's product thinking. So go check it out. Okay. We will you know, the the topic that we'll be covering in just a little bit on today's podcast will also be doing a newsletter about. So if you're interested in this and want more straight to your inbox, you're going to want to go subscribe for free or not for free, your choice, but yeah, go, (laughs) go, go just check it out for free and let me know what you think. So anyway, just want to throw that plug in there early. I know everybody listens to the end because it's, you know, we have so much great content here. But in case, you know, for whatever reason, you just didn't make it to the end because you had something come up, just wanted to get that in there. Oh, I like this. So guess who is subscribing right now? Um, I um, just have become a subscriber as of two nice. seconds ago. And what I like about this is that you can get a little taste and then decide to make contribution, um, monetary contribution or not. Yeah. Just, yeah. 
get a little taste of that. Exactly. It's totally your choice. So there's like varying levels of it. So if you want it less frequently, it's free. Or if you want the very frequent one, you can choose to upgrade at some point. So I just discovered that there is not discovered. That sounds really big, but I just see that you have a meme in your (laughs) the the, the featured article Uh, that that is. Yep. That's where you want to be. Yep. I love this. This is actually great. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to spoil what it is, but it's great. It looks like my cat. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. There you go. Um, I I want some like, what are those called? Sound bites of people clapping. So anytime we announce anything, we just like have that sound bite. We'll get there. I mean, I'm not making a demand of like, let's add this now, but um, we need to add some sound bites. Whenever we're making an announcement, we just, just clap like crazy. But you guys get on there and subscribe. There we go. This is very exciting. Yeah. I thought you were going to segue into a different thing. The hurricane that came through? <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone, we're in Utah. We're not in, what are those called? Tornado Alley? That's what it's called, right? The other yeah. part of the country. Um, but yeah, the windstorm, or as you called it, the hurricane. Yeah. Um, and I was not super affected. Very scared, but that was it. And Kyle, I want to hear what happened in your corner of Utah. Yeah, so it's interesting. For If anybody doesn't live in a very narrow area within Utah, we get crazy hurricane-like weather. It feels like about once a decade. So it just comes <laughs> through and just it, it's kind of a dry hurricane. So we don't get like the the rain that is usually associated with hurricanes, but we get the wind and it's just... Oh, it's devastating and it's crazy. And we had one of those massive hurricane like windstorms blow through. What has it been like a week, a week and a half, two weeks, something like that? Man, um, a week and a half ish. Yeah. No, two weeks ago. Two, two weeks, weeks ago. Something yeah. like that. Right yeah. after our last time. Yeah. Yeah, a little while ago. And it's just absolutely insane. So it, it's been about 10 years since the last one blew through. So it was in 2011 that the last one blew through and didn't. Uh, didn't do quite as much damage last time. Uh, this one, I think, blew down thousands of trees across Salt Lake. Uprooted. Yeah, up, uprooted, literally yeah. uprooted, where it pulled up the grass in some places like the sidewalk and things like that. So <laughs> yes. you can see literally like the roots, of, like the entire root system of the tree just has been, has come up. Last time it was mostly just like pine trees and things like that. This time it was everything um massive trees just entirely uprooted which is crazy trampolines things like that just hanging from like power lines and wrapped around power poles and things like that at our house we had a good portion of our fence blown out um i think that's pretty consistent across anybody who has a fence really a lot of roofs that were um blown significantly off. We had a few houses in our area where it not only stripped off like the shingles, but it stripped off like uh, down to the wood and, and even took some of the wood off of like the side of the house or the roofs of the house. So opened up the house, blew out windows, things like that. It was just crazy, crazy amount of wind. So that is, that was what we were dealing with. Knocked out power for for some people for like a week or two which is just yeah. what i again what you'd expect in like a hurricane down in the southern part of the united states or in some places but you know we're nowhere near anywhere that you would That's expect something like that. yeah so i just uh sent kyle a link in in the chat i just want you to see that's like the worst that we saw like someone's house just basically get crushed by a tree yep um it's it's awful and then i didn't know that where you are was even worse because we uh, i don't know how it happened but we live in the blessed square of downtown that had power had internet had everything but it was just so scary and what we experienced was definitely not not nothing compared to everyone else and we just heard a bunch of like when blowing and for some reason it was coming through an angle that it sounded like a what are those called the lighthouse horn sound fog horn yeah I think that's what fog horn yeah very very like grumbly like but then very alarming 
but it was coming through inside your apartment. Like that, imagine that. That, that was yeah. like terrifying to hear. My cats were all freaking out. Well, except for one of them. One of them literally was just like hanging, you know, on the cat tree right by the window where the other two cats plus, you know, me and my husband were just like, we're going to die. And that one cat was just like strolling and, and no, no big deal. No big deal at all. But yeah, I, I just feel really bad for people that, you know, lost their homes and, and had, you know, significant damage. And you guys had your fence, you know, just various degree of damage. I just think it was crazy that like, Nobody really knew how to like, you know what I'm saying? Like when there's a flash flood or something, you kind of, oh, I can reinforce my window. I can reinforce this part. But this round, I don't feel like a lot of people had any, what are those called? Precautionary measures. It, it just came. Yeah, it, it definitely came. Um, and I feel like we weren't. Uh, so, I mean, we saw some of the weather advisory stuff like the night before. So we, I, I mean, we, where we live, we, we tend to get winds coming just around periodically. So we'll, whenever we see something like that, we'll go outside and just kind of prepare our yard for that sort of thing, like clean up anything that might get blown around and, and just kind of do that sort of stuff just so we don't end up with like lawn furniture in our neighbor's yard and things like that. But I don't think anybody realized it was going to be one of these like once in a decade type storms. And then as it was going on through the night, that's when I think we started to realize like, this is going to be another one like 2011 was. Yeah. And so I didn't know there was another one. Yeah. I've got pictures. I'll have to send some pictures over from that. Maybe I'll, so I posted a video on Twitter of just the morning during the storm. Um, so you can see some of that. Maybe I'll post some more pictures of like 2011. And then we drove around and took pictures as well of just a whole bunch of the uprooted trees and, and things like that. So maybe I'll post some of those as well, but, and, and from 2011, so you can see just like some of the comparisons, but it, Yeah. yeah, crazy. And that's when we realized like, Oh no, this is getting really bad. And we, we hadn't taken down our trampoline, which was just, it was foolish. Oh, no. So, um, so I was out in the middle of the night throwing sandbags on it. Cause I was like, all right, we've got to get this thing secured. Otherwise it's going to blow away. Did it blow? No, no. So <laughs> thankfully, yeah. So I had, I had uh, a bunch of sandbags on it, but then it just kept getting worse and worse into the morning. And I was like, oh, this is going to be really, really bad. I don't think the sandbags are going to hold it. And so this is, I, this is probably stupid and I wouldn't advise it for anybody. So don't do what I, what I did, but I was out there. Yeah. So I was out like in, in the storm taking apart our trampoline. Um, yeah. So you that it wouldn't blown away with it. Like you would have been, uh, the, the additional portion that yeah. fly away with the yeah. trampoline. Anyway. Yeah. So that given the amount of like debris and stuff flying around, it's probably not wise to be out in that kind of a storm. Huh. But again, it's, it's one of those things that like, do we want it like flying into our house or into our neighbor's house or something? And that was where it's like, nope. if you take down a power line. Yeah. Your whole neighborhood is going to be like, whose house is that? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah that's Kyle's who's, trampoline. Whose trampoline is in that power line? And like, I, I don't know. It blew, that trampoline <laughs> blew right by our house and, I don't know. It's like, no, that's not my last name etched on the pole. Of the yeah. trampoline. <laughs> Didn't you guys used to have a trampoline? No, I don't know what you're we talking sold it. about. We yeah, sold it on eBay. Yeah. But know. that, thanks for listening to the weather, weather <laughs> channel. Um, this is a special report from Salt Lake City, our Salt Lake team. But um, really though, I, I just hope that this is listened by some local residents of Salt Lake City so that they're like, you know, this is very important to talk about. We are literally, you know, in the middle of the 2020 apocalypse. Yeah. So. Yep. What a, what a year so far. Yeah. I do want to say that next time, I mean, like you said, once a decade, right? So next time when we have it, the next, you know, 10 years later, windstorm, I hope that we still have this podcast and we talk about this <laughs> like 10 years ago. Remember that. Yeah. And we'll compare it. Yeah. So keep, keep your pictures. And then we'll, we'll post like the 2020 storm versus the 2030 or 2029, whenever it hits. I'm going to put a dollar down and say that 10 years later, they'll have robots, uh, podcasting. They don't need humans doing podcasting anymore. <laughs> so there's that. 
Ooh, all right. You hear? You, you just heard it here. Okay. Yeah, heard it here first. Nice. And how do we move into the future? Is um, I, I'm trying to segue into our topic today. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we talk about future, when we talk about technology, when we talk about moving forward as a society, how do we get there? It is through um, prioritization. That's right. That Which, was a very sharp yeah. Sharp yeah, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. So how do we get there into the future of robot podcasters? And it's through strategic prioritization, which is one of um, one of my favorite things to kind of think about and talk about because I think it's, it's such an important thing. But it's also one of the most difficult things when I uh, think about uh, some of the most difficult things as like a product, not just as a product manager or product team or product organization, but as a, a company in general, or as people in general, like how do we prioritize, you know, what to do and more importantly, what not to do? Like, these are some of the most difficult decisions that we make because I think ultimately, you know, we want to be doing the right things. And often we want to be doing as many things as possible, but that's always a recipe for not being able to do the right things or, you know, kind of focusing, you know, dividing our focus too much. So that is kind of the question is, um, you know, how, how do we go about thinking about priorities and prioritization and how do we, you know, what are some ways to do it? And, uh, at you know a, a product level, at a, a feature level, at a bigger initiative level, those are some of the questions that I think often come up when we talk about prioritization. Yes, and I almost feel like this is something that I mean it's not a surprise for people who are already in product, but I do think that for people who are going into product, this is probably going to be one of the best skill that you you can learn um, going into. Because it is a daily conversation. And I think last episode, we actually talked a lot about like, th- at this point, you're going to have to reprioritize. And then when, you know, the roadmap changes, how do you reorganize your entire, you know, day, week, month? And um, so this is also a continuous thing that you have to keep doing. And uh, man, maybe we can talk about prioritization for literally like four or five episodes. <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I definitely see this as a skill that not just the product manager uh, would need to possess, but also really everybody on the product team first understanding why prioritization needs to happen and what is the direction. Um, like, what is your team trying to accomplish when when you talk about prioritizing? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the kind of when we get into what I think of as like the key steps to prioritization. I think that's one of the the very first ones. So is, you know, understanding some of the why behind it, um, mm-hmm. across, across everybody. But before we, before we jump into that, maybe we should talk a little bit about like just generally the importance of prioritization. And we, you know, we touched a lot on it last time, um, but it's probably important to kind of reiterate a little bit here just in talking about prioritization, because when we were talking about roadmaps, you know, mm-hmm. it's up about, you know, understanding, you know, what we're doing, you know, where we're going. When I, when we're talking about prioritization, I think it's a very similar idea of what are we going to be focused on? And mm-hmm. then importantly, kind of like I mentioned, what are we not going to be focused on? Like, what are some of the things that we're going to be uh, putting either into, you know, a little bit further into the future or what are things that we're just going to say no to at this point in order to focus our attention? And so I think that's at whether we're talking about at a company level, a product level, mm-hmm. like a feature level, or even at a backlog level, like any of those different levels, you know, we have to have an idea of what we're going to be saying yes to and what are the things that we're going to be saying no to in order to just appropriately focus our attention. So that's, I guess that's kind of like one of the the main principles for me when it comes to prioritization. Yeah. And that's not just when it comes to products and initiatives. I think that's like 
life in general. You know, we have to be, <laughs> when, when we're talking about what you're doing personally or meetings or how you're spending yeah. your time, like you have to be able to understand where the real value is and what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to. Otherwise you get into this huge loop of, you know, too many things and then not being yeah. able to handle all of the things, which yeah. you know, it's an easy thing to see in your life. You know, if there's only so many things you can say yes to. And then at some point yeah. you're maxed out. And, you know, it's the very same principle in, I think it's harder to see something like that, like in a company or a product, there's only so many things you can say yes to before your team or your product is at its max. And you just, you can't, you can't do all of the things well. So being able to really focus yeah. in and prioritize the right things. Yeah. I, I think within that too, um, when we talk about prioritization as if like, Oh, this is the only one thing that can be done at one, at one, you know, given time. But I think, uh, that's a misconception a little bit too. Um, that's, kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you just like put all your eggs in one basket and say this is going to be the first thing so therefore this is the first and only thing we'll ship i think if you really chop it down to a very granular level there are multiple pieces to what you need to get done and within prioritizing one big task if you are able to chop it down to let's say abc different parts prioritize you know those different parts according to their urgency because oftentimes we have to wait for other teams or you know they're data that we're still waiting on in order to make decision for a particular part, you can still prioritize the other, you know, remaining parts that are able to put down into the conveyor belt and have those be in progress while we wait for, you know, the last part to be done. But then at the same time, you can utilize that time to get started on your second overall task and what, you know, um, however you chop that. Um, I just feel like when we talk about prioritization, it's not just prioritizing one overall thing, but within the, you know, big goal, there are multiple portions of that goal that you can also uh, examine and, and, and prioritize that accordingly. Uh, to me, it really is like a uh, conveyor belt. I think sometimes it sounds like a bad thing when we talk about, you know, it is a factory line of conveyor belt because we do work that is not just like putting parts together without, you know, using your brain it is a lot of creative work within that. But I think seeing it as a conveyor belt also makes sense. What do you think of that? Yeah. I think that, you know, depending on how you're kind of um, going about it. So there's multiple different levels of where you're prioritizing. What you certainly wouldn't want to do is get into um, any sort of like just building for the sake of, of like building and getting like features out the door. Like you're, you're yeah. kind of a, a factory of just creating things. But I think that there, to your point, I think there are multiple levels of prioritization. And I think that's a great point, like where you have, you know, kind of like your strategic level of prioritization where at a company level, you know, we're saying here is, you know, the strategic things that we're focused on. And then, you know, if you break that into a product team level, you know, as a, a product team, we say, here are the key, you know, one or two things that as a product team, we're focused on right now doing or solving for, and then breaking that down even further into, you know, here is, you know, what we're working on in order to solve for those, um, yeah. you know, product level things. And so within this sprint, you know, here's the things that we're that we're working on right now. And so you have kind of like the strategic company level initiatives that, you, that you're working on. And then you have kind of the product level and then you have, you know, at, at a very execution type level. And within each of those, you know, there's prioritization that needs to happen. And so it's not necessarily that you're only, you're prioritizing one thing and it's, you know, that kind of flows all the way down. You know, there's, there's different levels of prioritization that you are having to do within all of that so that you're, you know, making sure that you're solving the right problems kind of all along the way, you know, where, and, and I don't think that that's kind of going along that same point. I don't think that you'd want that necessarily dictated from, you know, at the strategic level, you, you, you know, you have your leaders of the company or, or organization kind of deciding here are, you know, some of the strategic things that we're focused on. 
we wouldn't want them deciding, you know, within a backlog or within a sprint, like what is being worked on. Like that's, that's a total mismatch of like prioritization. You know, we need, we need our leaders to, to be prioritizing strategically. What are the main initiatives that we're focused on? And then within our product teams, you know, figuring out now that we have our strategic direction, how are we going to do that within our product and prioritizing the problems that we're solving and how to go about that. And then, you know, within that subset, what are the things that we're going to prioritize solving? Like what are the biggest risks? What are the biggest things that we need to solve for? And then how can we go about doing that? And, and there's, you know, some different schools of thought on how, um, you know, how much you want to work on, how much work in progress you want to have going on at any given time, but, um, and how big teams should be and that sort of thing. But fundamentally, you know, finding the right amount for your team and your organization so that you're solving the right problems, you're delivering value for your users and uh, executing well as a team, I think is the fundamental principle for me. And so if that's, you know, focused on one thing at a time, great. If that's, you know, you're able to do a couple things at a time and deliver value as a team for your users, perfect. Then, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's do those things and deliver that value and, and prioritize again, prioritize the right things at the right levels. So I think that, the, that those are some of my thoughts on kind of the points that you brought up where I think it has multiple different levels that we need to be focused on and finding the right, uh, one, the right people who are helping prioritize at each of those levels and then making sure that we're delivering the value mm-hmm. at each of those different places. Yeah. I really like how you summarize the, just the thought of like, okay, if we have different level of prioritization and then you brought up like the highest, most level is the strategic level. How do you prioritize, you know, that tier? And then you kind of zoom down. And I definitely earlier jumped on a little bit to talk about, you know, the ground. I, I think that's funny <laughs> thing is like, that's usually where I am yep. talking about the smaller steps and then you're way, you know, higher, um, when it comes to where we start. So, um, I like how you summarize that. It is definitely not just one prioritization meeting and then you'll get it all done, right? It's multiple layers of it. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of drove, drove down to, okay, then what does that mean on the ground level this week? Um, and I like that you pointed it out clearly, like the stakeholders, should they be involved in, oh, what's happening this week? Let me get in and, 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 and tell you what I need, right? And that's solely just um, I dare say like within the team and, you know, owned by the product manager to decide to make sure that everything is on track. But yeah, is that, would you say that's correct? Yeah. So I think that that's definitely along the right lines and that's kind of jumping into, so I think that there's in figuring out how to do prioritization. So, um, there's a lot of articles and discussion around like how do we how do we go about prioritizing both strategically and our backlogs and features and things like that and i think that for me a lot of the discussion almost starts in the middle and of you know how do we go about doing it and i think that it needs to almost take a step back and kind of to your point of you know where you know where does some of this fall as far as the prioritization goes and for me i think that there's six steps in prioritizing, whether it's strategically prioritizing or, you know, prioritizing within our products or prioritizing our backlog. I think the the same principles apply, but I think that first we have to have, I'll just kind of lay them out and then we can kind of discuss yeah. them. But I think that first we have to have the vision and strategy. Second, we have to understand the context. Third, we have to gather the inputs. Fourth, mm-hmm. We have to use a framework to visualize. Fifth, we make the decision. And then sixth, we align and realign. So that's kind of the general framework that I think we need to use in order to appropriately appropriately prioritize anything that we're doing as far as our our strategy or, or product. So first, I think that if you don't have a good vision and strategy, like any talk of prioritization is just, it's going to be fruitless because yep. you, you know, what exactly are, are you trying to prioritize to? Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so, I mean, you can still 
you can still prioritize, but it's going to continually change based on the whims of basically whoever is deciding at that moment, like what you're going to be working on. So if that's like executives or leaders, if there's not like a clear vision and strategy for the okay. business or for the product, then it's going to be, you know, whoever, whoever is the highest paid person in the room or whoever it, you know, has the most sway at a given time or whatever the most appealing opportunity is at the moment. Like you're just going to just be moving back and forth constantly. If you don't have a clear vision and strategy for, for what you want to do as a company or as a product or, or anything. So that's where I've seen one of the, the most important starting points is, you know, have a very clear vision and strategy of what you want to accomplish. Otherwise your prioritization is just going to be changing constantly. Um, I really like uh, what you said there. And especially when you talked about like the multiple factors that affect the outcome, which is how, you know, the priorities look. So as far as um, some different methods go, so actually taking um, one step back real quick, uh, getting into some of the frameworks is important. And I think that in order to do that, you need to gather first, understand uh, a lot of the context. And this kind of almost goes back to some of the like discovery that we, we've talked about before as well. So how do we do the discovery and some of the design thinking as far as you know, what is the context that we're operating in? Um, you know, what, what are, what are users doing? How do we, how do we just add to our understanding of, um, what not only users are doing, but stakeholders are doing and, and have a really deep understanding of that and then gather all of the, all of the different inputs. So qualitative, quantitative inputs, and that helps us really start to quantify a lot of the data behind, uh, you know, how we're going to prioritize and then qualify a lot of it as well. So what are the stories behind what people are doing? Um, how, how can we start to, um, not only have that understanding, but have real data points that maybe aren't necessarily qualitative or sorry, aren't necessarily quantitative, but are useful in, uh, expressing, uh, different ways that people are using the product or potentially will be using or the way that mar there are market problems for some of these. And then I think that brings us ultimately to some of these frameworks. Um, in, in my career, I feel like I've done, you know, been in teams that do different methods to, to try to in a way quantify or, or measure which one, you know, should be more important. This one is more important. And there are two different methods that I um, really like, I, I guess, for the teams, you know, from my own experience that have worked really well. And it's very easy to immediately put down some sort of starting point, at least um, in terms of prior, prioritizing what should be done first. And, and I want to hear what you think about those two methods. And they might be something that everyone's already familiar with. Um, they're fairly common. The first one is, I think it's called a Moscow uh, method. And I think the official one is like, uh, is this a must have? Is it a should have? Is it a nice to have? Is it a could have? I think the nice to have might be a variant uh, that comes from this method. But um, And then the last one is won't have, which is, no, this is not important, but, um, this one is pretty straightforward. Just basically like, how bad do we need this? <laughs> I think that's a very, you know, it is basically the core of, of prioritization. Like how bad do you need this? Right. And I, I think if you, if you're looking at like 30 features on the board, having this as a starting point, I feel like in my own experience, like the engineers might have a different opinion, but then at least you can say, okay, we have three people on the team that think this is a must have, um, or, you know, some features that you think is very important, but then the other four people for, you know, different reasons think that it's not as important. I, I think this at least get some sort of, um, like a stand standards maybe on paper and say, okay, um, we have five must haves, you know, voted for this one feature. I think at least that gives you 
a way to prioritize. If you feel like this is too overwhelming to start, don't know how to approach this. That's one way that I feel like it's, you know, a way to, to do it quick. Um, and then the second method that I also really like this one, it's more of a formula. It's kind of putting, uh, the impact, the reach. I, I don't know. Yeah. If this, this is a term that everyone used basically just it's it's how many people affect or revenue. I, I think it depends on the um, feature or scenario. You can switch that out to other factors that affect you more um, and confidence level to your estimation and then divide all that by effort. Basically the lift of how much time, how much work this takes. So then this formula basically gives you the value of, of, of how, how your work will, will impact your, your product or your, or your customers. This one, I think it's called a rise scoring. Mm -hmm. Um, so those two methods, I feel like I've encountered different variations of those, but they usually after, you know, the beginning of the meeting, everyone's like, I think this is a must have. I think this one, you know, takes a lot more lifts than this other person thinks. But then if, you know, you hunker down and want to get it all done for all your features on the board. I think at the end of the meeting, I 99% of the time see a much better plan than, you know, going into it. So I'm curious what you think about those two methods or if you have other ones that you like. You mentioned two of them. So rice um, or the simpler version of that being ice, which takes out like the reach and Moscow, which are two of them. So uh, I, I've broken down in my mind, there are three, three broad categorizations of, uh, different, uh, prioritization frameworks. And okay. for me, these two kind of fall into like a ranking type framework where okay. we can go through and we can find a way to rank, uh, different either initiatives or features or items within the backlog and and you mentioned Moscow first. So being able to say like, this is a must have, is a should have, a could have, um, or a, a, a won't do. And so being able to just give everything a, basically like a one to four ranking and then be able to say, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. I, that's, you know, there's other versions of that, you know, where, where we could just give a one to four ranking and say, okay, here's our ones are all yes. Our twos are next in line. Threes are, are maybe and fours right. are, we're just going to drop. And then the same with uh, rice is it's kind of doing a, a similar thing where we give the reach and the impact um, and the confidence uh, we give and, and then the, divide it by the effort. Okay. We give everything kind of a numerical value. And then that gives us a score for each of these things. And then we can rank in that way. And then another common one is the weighted shortest job first, uh, which is one, if anybody's familiar with safe is a common one used in, uh, the scaled agile, agile framework, um, which is kind of using the idea of the cost of delay. So what would this cost us right. if we didn't go and do it now, which is a, a good, um, idea or good measure of potential lost business value. Yeah. So if we, if we don't do this thing, you know, it has the potential to lose us $80,000 a month in revenue versus this other one, which has the potential to lose us, you know, $30,000 or gain us $500,000, that sort of thing. So kind of gives a, a similar weighting and then you're able to rank all of these things. So those are different those are what I consider kind of like ranking ones where we're able to just get some sort of like numerical value and then rank things and say, okay, here are our initiatives or here's our products or features or backlog items and give them a ranking and say, okay, this is how things kind of shake out. Yeah, that, that one's interesting because it's literally calculating what's, uh, I believe it's called like opportunity cost, right? In yeah. the business world, that's what they call it. And Maybe I just have been protected from that method because it, the second you talk about, oh, 30,000 lost, you know, per month, like that, I'm already sweaty. about <laughs> <laughs> that. But I mean, is it effective? Probably. Um, measuring literally like 
how does it help a business, right? Like how, how does it um, help the team? But yeah, I, I, I am curious too. Like, um, do you have a personal favorite or one that you're like, Oh, start with this one, then go, you know, this direction. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I've used some other ones as well. And I think it kind of depends on the context that you're working in. So um, there's some other ones that I kind of think of as like matrix style ones that are also really good. There's like value to effort or value to risk where you have, you kind of take uh, the value of something and you can kind of assign it, um, you know, here's the value of something. And, and that could be like the strategic value, the customer value, uh, the financial value. And then, um, you know, pl- you can plot that out and then, you know, you can take the effort or you can take that against the risk and plot that out as well. And then kind of create yourself a matrix where mm-hmm. everything is given um, a plot. And then, you know, things on like the upper right are, you know, these are the things that we're going to do. And then, you know, the things in another part of the matrix are, you know, these are our maybe we're going to do because they're either um, high value but also high effort or high risk, that type of thing. And so it gives you kind of a visual way of saying like, these are our, in the, in the example of like effort uh, to value, like our high value, low effort ones, like those are relatively easy ones to say like, okay, yeah. Or high value, low risk ones. Like those are easier to say like yes to, whereas like high value, high risk, we need to think about that or high value, high effort. We need to think about that. Um, and there's also the the Kano model, which is where you kind of plot out uh, what you think of as far as like the items within either your product or your features that you you have to have, which, you know, if you don't, you'd have very dissatisfied customers. Uh, what are kind of like your, your performant ones, like table mm-hmm. stakes almost? And then what are your very satisfied? So what are like the delight uh, types of features. Um, so those are kind of like the things that I think of as like matrix, almost like matrix style frameworks. And then there's another category, which I loosely kind of think of as like functional, uh, prioritization. Uh, and this is where, again, it's kind of a visual collaborative style framework where you're really putting together um, what are the things that we really need in order to to do something? Um, one that comes to mind that I'm a, I'm a big fan of in mm-hmm. this is user user story mapping. So laying out, you know, what is it that we need to include in our product in order to um, make it functional for one. So if you're you're building yeah. something from scratch, like here's all of the things that we need, and you can imagine like a, a storyboard. Uh, in order to do everything we want and then start to kind of like draw a line and say, okay, you know, we, in order to get the bare functionality, like we need these two things and then we need this thing and we need this thing. And that could get us, you know, the, the right amount for a certain user group in order to, to, to go to market or in order to make it good for a certain subset of users. And then we need to add this next set. So user story mapping is, I think, a really good one for kind of a functional uh, launch. And then mm-hmm. there's also one um, like buy a feature. A lot of people probably heard that where you kind of get together and collaborate on the idea of, you know, everybody has a certain amount of either dollars or votes or points or whatever, and you get to spend that on either features or something else within a product. And this isn't necessarily like a, a final prioritization, but it's a really good exercise in figuring out like where do people find the most value in something. Feature buckets is another popular one where you kind of bucket different things into different areas. Like what are your metric movers? What are your customer requests? What are your delighters? And what are your strategic features? So making sure that you're kind of always pulling some within each of those buckets. Mm -hmm. And then I've used uh, the Lean Canvas before as well, uh, which is, I think, great for like newer product initiatives. So if you're looking to start something new, putting together kind of a a Lean Canvas, so you're understanding, you know, who the customers are, what are the problems 
um, how can you potentially solve it? Or not just a new product, but a new larger feature set or something like that. So I think those are some good ones within the functional area. I've used a number of these across a bunch of different products. And I think that they are all in their own ways, um, add value in some way. Um, I know you kind yeah. of cringed at the, like the, the weighted shortage job first. And I have my, I have some of my own qualms with the scared, <laughs> the scaled agile framework for, um, for its own reasons and, and that sort of thing. And I haven't, there's, there's one or two of these I haven't used extensively. Um, but I think that they all kind of add their own different flavors and it kind of depends on your team and your organization and, and your, the users you're working with and the customers you're working with where they can all add like different value and kind of the stage of the product that you're at. So I think that they're, they, they all have good things to bring. I guess the one thing I would say is that, um, you know, I used to work with somebody who kind of had the notion of if we could just quantify everything then the data could make a decision for us. And I, I always took, familiar. <laughs> yeah, I always took issue with that because um, I don't think that the data can ever make a decision for us. And even if it could, it could only do that with us on the back end making a lot of the decisions prior and then yep. kind of finagling the data in a way that it kind of output whatever the decision was going to be anyway. So I think that the frameworks are a way for us to visualize the priorities. I don't think they're a way for us to kind of wash our hands of making a decision. And that's kind of why I said that the fifth step for me is making the decision because I don't think that the data can make a decision. I don't think the framework can make a decision for you. I think it can. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can help you visualize. I think, you know, if you plot out in a matrix, I think it's a great way to look and see like here is where everything falls. And I don't think that necessarily like only deciding on high value, low risk items is the right decision. I think that there can be some high value, high risk things that you should probably prioritize. And the same with, um, you know, that you might go through the exercise and find that, you know, just force ranking things based on like the rice framework. Um, you might find things that fall a little bit lower in the prioritization that as you do kind of a gut check on it, um, which I think is important. Like if you were to just rank them yourself, is that where things should fall? And if there's something that kind of falls out of whack and you're like, ah, that just, it's not right figure out why that's not right. And then, you know, ultimately you need to be responsible for making the decision and making the prioritization. You need to be able to justify it too, you know, why you're making those decisions. And, and that's why I think using a framework is a helpful input uh, along with, you know, understanding all of the other inputs, the qualitative and quantitative inputs, understanding the context, all the things, the strategy and, and the vision and everything that you're doing. All of those things are necessary. And that's why mm -hmm. I think the discussion just of frameworks in prioritization is a little bit, it's a little bit too narrow just in, mm -hmm. in talking about prioritization, because I think all of it is part of the, the broader context of yeah. here's the decisions that we have to make and here's why we're making them. We need all of those inputs in order to make good decisions. So th that's, that's kind of my framework for prioritization and why I think it's it's a little bit broader discussion than just here's some good frameworks to use. I think that we need to be a little bit more holistic in thinking about how do we prioritize all of these things. And then once you've done that, mm -hmm. you know, you have to kind of like we were talking about, a lot make sure that the team is aligned, the business is aligned, um, that everybody's kind of aligned. And then you're constantly going back and re realigning and updating that yep. because the priorities are going to shift and things are going to change. And so, you know, you're going to have to adjust your framework or adjust some of your inputs and make changes as you go. So not, don't expect that your priorities are going to stay the same constantly. Um, they shouldn't, <laughs> they shouldn't be changing on you uh, constantly either. So like if you're swinging wildly from priority mm -hmm. to priority, then again, that's a sign of some sort of dysfunction. But if you're staying on the same priority 
Um, like if you prioritize your list at the beginning of the year and it stays the same for the entire year, that's probably also a sign of dysfunction. So you should probably be somewhere in the middle where you're not swinging wildly, but you're not staying stagnant for a long period of time either. I, I think you just talked about like really not just about prioritization, but like the core of product management. And I guess just being even a functional working person too, especially <laughs> when you talk about like, yes, we can take framework, we can take data into, you know, uh, the, the conversation and decide, Oh, that's where we stop. Right. Cause yeah, you can take data and let data take, you know, take control of your, your, your decision-making, but is that really a healthy way to do it? And I think you gave a very clear answer of like, no, you don't want to be data driven. You can be data informed and you still, you know, um, cause I, I do think that, yeah, data tells you what it is now, but you as a human being knows other elements that cannot be quantified. And sometimes the way we quantify things are not going to be a hundred percent truth to what, what it is. Cause the, you know, we're eventually limited by the data, um, and how we gather that data. Right. And there's so much in between that, that is not going to be a one-to-one translation, um, I think keeping that, like your intuition as a product manager, trusting that is also just as important as, 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 you know, having that data in front of you and let that take, take ring of, of the entire <laughs> sprint. Um, I think that that was very, very, I don't know, just gold nugget right there. <laughs> and yeah, I also really love that you said we should never just stop at the, you know, framework and you can take that framework, use that, get to where you think, okay, that's a solid point. And do you, as a product manager, just decide to stop there and, and trust hundred percent on the framework and, or do you say, okay, this is good, but there's more, we need to, you know, refine this more because of whatever reason, depending on the business. Right. And I think that's where a strong product manager can say, okay, I don't think this is, you know, hundred percent enough and you keep going and you use that framework to get to where you need to be, but you continue to push for what, you believe is important. Um, I feel like this too was very motivational, but I do think that this is where a strong product manager can come in and, and determine if the framework is enough or not. And that process is finished or not. And having that, that, that intuition to gauge that I, I, I've seen it happen. And I think it's almost magical to someone like me who I understand it just by osmosis. Um, mm-hmm. But I think once you do it right, it, the whole team, I think you would never have to convince anybody <laughs> why <laughs> you, you make those decisions, you know, because you have the process down and, and it is your process, not so much just, Oh, we're doing the Moscow and we stop there. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. 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 And again, I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with any of the different frameworks. I think that they all add value in a variety of different ways, but again, I think that if you're stopping with those or relying solely on them, then you know you're you're missing part of the picture as far as making the ultimate decision as far as you know what you should be prioritizing. And then I mean ultimately like again it comes down to it's your throat to choke and so like you should you, don't be afraid to make you know the the decision and make it based on not just the, you know, the frameworks that you're using, but also all of the other inputs and data that you're gathering and the intuition that you have and, and the different parts that go into really understanding users and understanding context and all of those different things. Because I mean, ultimately that's what makes a a really good product manager and product team is really understanding the problems and how to solve them. And, you know, these are, you know, these are just tools in the toolkit there, you know, obviously it's important, like we have to make prioritization decisions, uh, but we should be again, making those decisions and not kind of outsourcing them in, in some way that, you know, whether it's to, you know, a, yeah, to a machine or to an algorithm or something like that, because that's, you know, uh, that's just not a good way to get the right decisions made. Yes, I think I like that every time at the end of the episode, we always go back to like communication and, <laughs> and, and now we have a second, uh, I guess, 
written and, and gold script um, on the, on the, what is that thing? I keep blanking on this thing. Uh, anyway, the, 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 the commandment, the yeah. product commandment. <laughs> we, we should start curating like a list of items. Like first it's like communication. Second one we have talked about, like, um, I don't know how to summarize this, but we just talked about the, let the data or framework take you where you need to be and you decide where to go after. <laughs> Kyle, help me to summarize that. Oh, yeah. Data. Um, again, merge ideas for. Yeah. Kids. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to think about that one, but that's a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I yeah, do some, think that's yep. very important. Yep. Yeah. Something around like, uh, yeah, like data being data informed, but, um, thought yeah thoughtfully deciding something yeah we'll, we'll have to we'll 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 do on that one a little bit before we before we write it in the stone of product <laughs> commitment yeah <laughs> granite countertop in your kitchen yeah. <laughs> but yeah totally i think what a what a conclusion to arrive at we have another commandment there we go sweet cool i i do want to propose that one of these days we talk about what is a real MVP product because you sparked something when you mentioned when we're grabbing all these you know features to build we need to include some delightful you know elements in, into that and I think I think that would be an interesting episode to talk about when when we say MVP what does that mean what how are we cutting that that pyramid of I'm not gonna go into it because i feel like we'll just <laughs> segue into the second episode right here but yeah uh, i think that is something can i call it a misconception i feel like I, when i brought up mvp people are like oh that means no delightful it's all functional right and i disagree with that <laughs> yeah i i disagree as well and you're right we we should not dive into that right now because we'll just we'll go off onto an entirely new episode if we start going into the mvp Okay, well, we're putting it down on the list. MVP episode coming up in the not too distant future. Right now. <laughs> yeah, what is an MVP product? Anyway, okay, sweet. Added. Yes. Sweet. Do you have any product shout outs or any gripes or anything? All right, shout out in gripe zone. Um, I I do have a gripe, so I, I will. I miss, Let's go. Yeah, this stems from. We had, all right, so we had our, the sound bar on our TV fell and it oh. pulled, it pulled out the optical cable that it was connected to. I have this. And so this was, it's just very recently on my mind, but it's a gripe that I have all the time. TVs, flat screen TVs are mounted to the wall. When they're mounted to the wall, there is no way to reach behind them and get it any oh, of the inputs. Wow. And it drives me absolutely crazy. And this is the same with almost uh, it's the same with all of the TVs that we own. I don't know if like brand new ones are better. I doubt that they are. Cause I just, I helped, I, I feel like I helped my parents recently with, with theirs and theirs is relatively new, like a year or two old. But anyway, the design of TVs drives me crazy. Getting, getting the inputs like the HDMI inputs or the optical cable inputs, they put them at the most inaccessible places behind the TV and the TV gets mounted to the wall. And once it's mounted to the wall, like you have to smash your face up against the wall just to like see where it is. And that was me. Like I had my face smashed up against the wall with a flashlight, like trying to reach under there to plug it back in. And it just drives me crazy. Like I want to talk to whoever is designing the where they put the inputs on these TVs just to go through like what the thought process is as far as like when somebody is once they mounted it to the wall and they need to put in an HDMI cable to connect it to something like how do you propose that they do that and I just want to see it mounted in their like design lab and be like okay here's your do HDMI it. cable it's mounted to the wall let's see how you go about All doing right. it um, yeah, so that is my gripe, just the design of TVs, because I don't know, maybe some people still don't mount them to the wall. I know that we we've mounted all of them and they, it is so difficult to try and get the input should be either on the bottom 
or on the side. And some of them are, but some of them aren't. And it just drives me absolutely crazy. I have a speculation on why they do it. I don't know if it's true or how we can even verify that. But tweet at us if you work for TV designing industry. (laughs) But um, uh, my speculation is that is it because it's more convenient because they have to keep the TV as flat as possible because that usually is a selling point? Like making the TV paper thin is the goal that would drive more sales. Yeah, I suspect it's some sort of trade-off like that and that like the place where they have like the boards on the inside that connect to the inputs that's just like the place that they get put. And so right. it's like somewhat of an afterthought, but it just, I, it makes it so difficult. I just, I hate it. I will, I will gladly trade less thinness for easier accessibility. And that will be like on the next TVs we buy, it will be something that like we, yeah. we are looking at. Like I will, I will be looking and be like, where are the inputs on this TV? Cause I will not be, like trying to reach my hand up into the middle of the back of the TV to like plug in an HDMI cable. Like that's just, cause I mean, those things go bad sometimes too. And like, you need to swap it out or you need a longer one and like, Oh man, heaven help you if you need to put in a longer one or something. Oh, if you move. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's terrible, terrible stuff. That's so funny. I never thought about this. And I guess this it's only, now I'm really curious because that is such a problem. I can only imagine we don't mount our TV, but yeah, we just plug it in and call it a day. Yeah. And get like a 30 feet, 30 feet court. Just, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, when you do end up putting it on the wall, just be prepared for the inevitable challenge. Or if you want to put like a new a fire stick or new Chromecast or new Apple TV or whatever it is in like an HDMI slot, like good luck if it's mounted, it's just going to be a huge pain. I like that. And I also want to bring up that like same problem with, um, what are those called? Extension cord that comes with a whole bunch of plugs. What are those called? Those, those ones that you can extend, uh, but also gives you, five more things you can plug in. I'm blanking on that for electricity. <laughs> oh, like an adapter? <laughs> kind of, but it's like an extension cord that comes with like a giant panel that have five more sockets that you can plug in. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but those ones, same problem. It's like, you know, all electronics have different shape and sizes and direction of how the cord comes out of the plug and you oftentimes it's like okay let's play tetris how can we fit (laughs) my macro charger which you know if you want the shorter cord you have to have that giant adapter right on that oh my goodness what is that called let's just call it extension cord yeah. Or like, or like a, or a surge protector or whatever you're using. Yeah. You have to like, yeah. Yep. You have to play Tetris and yep. fit it all together nicely so that your MacBook charger, I know you can get the extended part of it so that you save a lot more room, but dude, I don't want to have that 500 feet cord hanging down my desk. Yep. That's not what I want to do anyways. So you get the problem. Same thing. Yep. It's like, how do I, how do I do this? How do I get there? I want to plug in my stand-up desk. I want to plug in my yeah. desk room. I want to plug in my charger, yep. phone charger, um, and second monitor. Yep. Um, yeah. We just played that game the other day. It's just like, how do we reorganize all these things? Yeah. And it's impossible. I have two, I have two search protectors under my desk. That's how I solved that. I have one plugged into each of the <laughs> of the sockets and then they go in different directions so that because you're right i just there's no way to get everything plugged in to one because of all of the different shapes you only get to use like half yeah. of the of the uh, outlets in one so right and yep. that is just across the board a problem there's no yep. universal solution for plugs i yep. mean apple has crap load of different cords and I have an Android phone. Anyway, this is a, a whole new episode for, for Christ. I feel like 
But um, um, my grab is going to be super quick because apparently I just have been staring at different video viewing subscription services. <laughs> um, I know next time we're going to talk about Hulu and Netflix. I almost want to do an honorable mention in that episode uh, because we've been watching The Boys, which is on Amazon Prime. Um, no spoilers, Kelly. <laughs> um, it's the best thing ever right now. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm waiting for uh, them all to come out so I can watch season two. Yes. I, I don't know why I brought up Amazon now because my grab is actually about Hulu again. But anyways, sneak <laughs> peek. Um, I have so many grabs about Hulu. Uh, hopefully I didn't already bring this up. But every time when you go back to an episode of whatever you're watching on Hulu, so <laughs> you hit play, right? On Netflix, let's say you hit the title, click on it. It will just play, right? For some reason, Hulu, at least on our TV, you hit play. It doesn't play. It brings you into the title, but it's paused. So you actually have to, you know, get to the title they want to watch and hit it once so that it goes into the episode, wherever you left off or a new episode or whatever, but it doesn't automatically play. But I'm like, I'm already in the couch, not on the couch, into the cushion, in the couch. <laughs> Remote's already tossed off onto the coffee table and... I realized, oh no, it actually is not playing. I have to get up and hit play again. Why do I have to hit it twice? I don't know why. I just made up sound like the biggest problem um, on this planet right now is not, but it is definitely <laughs> why do you make people hit it twice? So the yeah. end, that's my ride. It is very, very annoying. Okay. All right. More to come on that one soon. Yeah. Today it's all hate, no love. Yeah. So. Sorry, Hulu. I still love you, but, you know, <laughs> problem. All right. That's it. That's, That's it. another episode of All Hate, No Love, Gripe Zone. Yeah. Cool. I guess we'll see everybody next time then. Yes. See you all next time. Hopefully we'll have some good, <laughs> uh, lovely shout out instead. Yes. <laughs> and we would definitely will next time. All right. Thanks all right. for listening. Thanks. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.